Hello, and welcome to Reptory Screenings, episode 82. I'm your host, and with me is my regular host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hi. It's time for movies. Uh, Destiny, you get to go first. Okay, I watched a couple of movies. Um, Just decided to do a Kevin McCarthy double feature. Uh, Watched uh, 81, or no, 78's Piranha. Directed by Jewel Dante, and um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I don't really, <laughs> there's not a lot to it. It's, you know, piranhas attacking people, a bunch of kids get eaten up. It's very funny. Uh, <laughs> I had never seen this movie before, and it made me really happy. Um, and then I watched uh, UHF, the Weird Al classic. Uh, with uh, Michael Richards. Um, yeah. Uh, good movie. Very, very 80s. Uh, I had, like, halfway through it, I realized I'd seen it before, which was kind of a fun discovery. Like, I hadn't seen it since childhood, but um, a lot of movies like that where I forget I'd seen them. But yeah, UHF is a cult classic about... Uh, these guys that start a public access station that becomes a classic, like, uh, hit with the people in the neighborhood, but then the, the mean TV producer rich guy wants to take it over and then the community has to fight back. And it's, it's just one of those. It's, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, those are the two movies I watched. They both had Kevin McCarthy in them, the character actor. Um, and, uh, that's all I have to say. That's not all you have to say. We watched the movie oh, together. We watched the movie together. <laughs> we watched Skin of Marink. Oh, right. You haven't talked about that on this podcast yet. <laughs> yeah, I talked about it on another one, which is why I forgot to bring it up on this one. I Everyone really... here except me has talked about it on multiple other podcasts at this point. Yeah, I've talked <laughs> about it at length on... Uh, if you listen to Around the Long Fire, which uh, go to abnormalmapping.com slash longfire, um, me and Neve read Icelandic sagas every week. But this week, we spent about an hour and a half talking about movies and podcasting and anime. See, people seem to like it. I thought it was very good. But we talk at length about Skin Marine, so I probably won't have much to say here. Well, I will say that I really liked that it kind of fucked with sort of this just the shit that scared you when you were really little like the weird parts of your house and the dark and just you know uh being a kid and not knowing where your parents are and uh just it, it really exploited those very early fears in a very like surprising way i didn't expect to like it as much as i did so i i yeah if you haven't seen that yet, run, don't walk. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. It's really good. Uh, I've really talked good. about it enough, so I'm not going to have much to say either. But uh, if you have any interest at all, uh, I like it quite a bit. Um, Jackson, it's your turn. I got fucking nothing. Uh, I, I was last time, I was like, oh, I'm watching so many movies this year. And then just literally the second we recorded that, stopped, just switch flipped, game mode entirely, played three Final Fantasies. Fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, fair enough. All right. Um, <clears throat> I guess it's my turn. Um, so, this is out of order a little bit. 
I start, uh, first thing I have is Ransom for a Dead Man, the second Columbo pilot. Um, my friend Molly's got a podcast called Totally Reprise, and they're beginning a season where they watch all of Columbo. They just recently watched all of Twin Peaks. Um, and uh, I decided I was going to watch along with Columbo because I've never watched Columbo before. Uh, even It's weird because like, I like a good mystery show. Um, that like BBC Sherlock Holmes thing from like the eighties, like the, the Jeremy Brett, is that that guy's name? Those Sherlock Holmes, some of the greatest TV you can watch. I love them. Um, but, um, never hit Columbo. It became like a meme before I got to it. And then I was like, I don't know. It seems like a little too precious. Um, and having watched the first two pilots, it's a little precious. Um, I'm not sure how much I vibe with detective Columbo and his antics. Um, the, uh, the first pilot I had like whatever um, but the second pilot is about this like high-powered lawyer uh, this woman who's like really good at being a lawyer and she kills her husband for the the and makes it look like a botched ransom so she can just take the ransom money and like pocket it from like their accounts which doesn't make any sense because she's a high-powered expensive lawyer I the logic does not hold together however she is like this wealthy uh extravagant murderess and i love her and i support her and she's got this awful stepdaughter who's like you killed my dad and goes about proving it and whatever the problem with this is that i was not rooting for columba who is a clown or his or her stepdaughter who is awful i was rooting for her to get away from this murder and the show's just not gonna be about that but Columbo fucking sucks. He's just ambles in, does like his stupid clown dance, or he like acts like he doesn't know what he's doing as he snoops into everyone's business and uh, wins. Don't talk to the cops. Everyone talks to Columbo. Columbo is a great example. Never talk to the fucking police about anything uh, because no one would get caught if they didn't talk to him. Uh, I, I know that the show like settles into what it becomes and the villains, the murderers get more like entertainingly evil. Um, but if if it's more like this, I'm just going to be rooting for them and not him. Because uh, yeah, I was going to say you might not like Columbo. What's his skin in the game? He's just he's just a detective doing his job. Why does he care so much? Go home. Um, <laughs> he cares because he loves his job. <laughs> his job is evil. I mean, I won't argue with that. Uh, we'll see. I'm okay. I'll at least watch through season one. I'm curious to see how I feel about it, but. Um, this episode, I was just rooting for Columbo to fail or to run away with this uh, murder lady, and he does not do either. He arrests her, and it sucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you should listen to Total Reprise, which will probably have much more reasonable opinions than this, but I know Molly's big team uh, murder lady, so uh, that episode isn't out yet, but I'm um, looking forward to listening to it. Um, I I don't know what happened that caused this. Um but I decided I needed a film project, not like one that I'm attacking with like vigor, but one that like when I don't know what to watch, I just have like a big stack of movies that are all of a theme that I'm going to chip away at. And the thing I settled on, um, this is actually because of a VTuber. I realized how this happened. Um, VTuber was doing a watch along to one of these that I like. Um, I decided I was going to watch all of the CG uh, Barbie movies that started in like 2001 and continue to this day. There's like 43 of them so far. There's another one coming out this year. Um, too many goddamn ones of these. I've watched the first three, uh, which I'll just knock out altogether. I watched Barbie and the Nutcracker, Barbie as Rapunzel, and Barbie of Swan Lake. Um, those first and third being uh, adaptations of the ballets. The second one just being Tangled. But honestly, I, the story is better than Tangled. Um, these all look these all look bad. Like they're bad CG. They're very cheap. They're made very quickly. Uh, for a direct-to-DVD home market. 
Um, but, and so they look kind of like PS2 cutscenes, but they're made of people who understand how films work. So, like, they're not shot like PS2 cutscenes, um, which is weird and disorienting. Um, but, like, all the dancing is mocap, so it looks, like, the animation itself looks good, even if the graphics are bad. It's really weird. Um, I found them mostly pleasant. I really liked Barbie's Rapunzel. The other two, um, a little more, like, mixed on. It made me want to, like, actually watch a ballet, which I have zero experience with. Um, other than, like, I've heard the music of Swan Lake and the Nutcracker. Like, who hasn't? Um, <laughs> but I, just, uh, I, I Yeah? I just loaded up, literally, as you were talking, just clicked on Barbie the Nutcracker full movie YouTube. Yeah. Uh, skipped around and bit in. And you are right. This is disconcerting how, like, <laughs> this is... This looks bad. But then there was, like... So, it looks fucking terrible. These are, these are literally... You weren't even joking about how it looks like a PS2. I was like, oh, expecting a fucking Final Fantasy cutscene. No, this is, this no. is like in mo- the models. This is like in-game yeah. models. They, they made this movie in four months. <laughs> Worth pointing out, they made it in four months. But then there's like a, there's a bit where the, the two girls are talking, then a guy walks in in the, the uh, uh, just just in, in the door behind them, and as he walks in, like the, the camera just pulls back and it becomes like a mid shot, and I'm like, oh, this is like competent. Bl-. You're right. It is so fucking weird seeing a PS2 cutscene <laughs> with this kind of like. It's been storyboarded by someone knows who, yes. what a storyboard is, not yeah. like a game artist. <laughs> yeah. Weird. They know how to place a camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll probably keep updating on those. Um, they're fine. I, my, my inspiration, uh, we have a friend, Crass, who's working on that big Zatoichi box set that Criterion put out. Um, and has been working on it for like two years at this point, I think. Um, and I don't, I'm not interested. I've watched a couple of Zatoichi's. I'm not interested in ever watching that many samurai films. I don't like samurai films that much. But I was like, I'd love to have a project like that and have stumbled into this one. Because I've already seen all the Bond movies, which is the other one of those people do. Um, so uh, there's that. Um, I rewatched Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, oh, next, yeah. Next Lander, um, the podcast network, I guess I would call it. I don't know what called Next Lander. It's a website. Um with Alex Navarro, Vinny Caravella, and Brad Shoemaker, formerly of Giant Bomb. Uh, they mostly just... Uh, so they have a games podcast that I don't recommend. I think it's pretty mid. But they have a movie podcast that's incredible, um, which is just Alex showing the both of them movies um, that they mostly have not seen. Um, and they do, they're do. they also watching like original Star Trek and stuff. And it's in, it's great. And they talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula. And it's like, I haven't seen Dracula in 18 months. I'm going to buy the 4K Blu-ray of Dracula, which I did. And I rewatched Dracula and it fucking rips. One of the greatest films of the 90s. Um, <laughs> I just like it. I, and there's nothing to say. It's my favorite adaptation of the Dracula story, which is a book I love. I think this movie is incredible and goofy and every shot looks incredible. Um, yeah. Um, I watched also, I watched a lot of movies. Sorry. Um, I watched, I watched a ghost waits, uh, which is a 2020 horror romantic comedy by Adam Stovall. This was on shutter. It was short. I was like, I'm going to watch something. So this is about a, a guy who, who fixes houses before they get like put back on market. And there's this house that like the family abandoned mysteriously. And the, the agents like go fix it up. And he goes in and there's a, there's a ghost there. Uh, this woman named Muriel and she, um, and he's like down on his luck and is like, oh, I need to I need the money. I need to fix his house up. So he refuses to let the ghost scare him away, uh, which causes a problem because she's just working a job where like her job is to haunt houses and drive people out of them. And so she's getting in trouble with her boss in like a Beetlejuice kind of scenario uh, because she's not scaring this guy out of the house. And she's like an old timey, like 1800s ghost. Um, 
And she's like, well, do we need to bring in a younger, like, you know, agent? And it's like this, like, she looks like she's like a woman who died in like the 1980s or whatever because of her outfit. And uh, so she's got job and security and he's like a Donald's luck guy and they end up falling in love with each other. And it's very corny and I liked it quite a bit. (laughs) It's all in black and white and it's mostly just them like, uh, how do I, how do we save both of our jobs um, and navigate these weird ghost feelings we have for each other? Um, it's very corny. Um, but yeah, it was pleasant. Um, what else I got? I watched Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, How was it? <laughs> I thought it was mid. <laughs> um, I think it looks incredible. Um, just stellar animation. It's like two hours long. I'm like, how expensive was this movie to make a stop motion movie that's two hours long? Nobody makes stop motion movies two hours long. Um, I think... Um, the voice cast is solid other than Christoph Waltz, who I continue to hold has never been a good actor. And I don't understand why people cast him in things. Maybe in like German films, he was a good actor. That man is a bad actor in English. Um, <laughs> he can do one thing. Um, and like Tarantino was like, oh, this guy could do the one thing I need him to do. But everyone else has hired him and he's just done that exact same thing. And I like it less every single time. Um, anyway, um, it's the story of Pinocchio, but it's set in like a in an in the aftermath of world war one and like leading up to world war two and is about Italian fascism basically. Cause Guillermo del Toro, um, I thought that it, it careened between the like pan's labyrinth fascism nostalgia for like a childhood innocence lost stuff and being a goofy kids movie too hard. Um, I think the like broad comedy bits don't work right up next to the really like, dire bits and i think the dire bits maybe go a little too hard and i really wish you just found a middle ground where i could invest in the characters a little more um pinocchio's really cute in it though there's that um but yeah i i i, I was very unmoved um okay but um a lot of people like it i feel like i'm an outlier on this one so you know if you're interested in all uh you could check it out i guess um let's see last night i watched american mary the uh, what 2012 horror modern classic by the Soska sisters um, about a m- medical student who starts doing so she's out of money um, and she she she's like, I'm going to take a job at the strip club or whatever. And she goes there and they're dealing with like one of their guys because they're like vaguely mob connected. It's unclear. Um got like injured and they're like oh you're a med student because she brought a she brought a uh resume to the strip club tryout or whatever this is like a a bit it's like oh you you brought a resume to this okay um and uh he's like i'll give you five thousand dollars if you patch this guy up right now and don't ask any questions so she does that um and one of the uh strippers that works there sees her work and is like oh she's really good and she's like part of like the like extreme body mod community and they gets her friends to start hiring her to do like illicit body modification. Um, and uh, it, it turns into a bunch of like weird conflicts and murder. And also like, look at these weird people with their body mods. Cause most of the uh, body mod cast members are just people from that community. Um, I think that's where the sisters come out of. Um, so there's a lot of like people with um, like split tongues and uh, implants and stuff like that, you know, um, it's really corny, but I really liked uh, it. Oh, I really liked uh, Catherine Isabel in it. She is, anchors that movie by being just kind of like a 
uh, traumatized flat effect woman who does surgery, illegal surgeries in like high fashion. And that's kind of the aesthetic. Um, I want to watch more stuff she's in. She's in like Hannibal season three is uh, Margot Verger character. I never thought would make it into a screen anywhere. She's great in that. Um, and um, yeah, it was all right. It's like a, it's like a modern horror classic and I kind of avoided it because it sounded kind of silly and it is really silly. And I think it ends really badly, but I do like the overall aesthetic. It ends up becoming like kind of too much of a CD crime movie. And I was looking for something a little more like Hannibal, I guess really ultimately. <laughs> um and then uh just this morning uh, i had some downtime criterion channel if you have criterion channel has this great new feature where there's just like how much time you got and it's like an hour 30 minutes 15 minutes five minutes and they'll just recommend short films that meet that time criteria so i watched two uh short films um which i'll just hit real quickly i watched hair wolf uh which is uh a 27 2018 movie uh by mariama diallo about it's like a it's like in the pastiche of a zombie movie but it's about this white woman who shows up at this black hair salon wanting dreads um um, uh, and uh everyone reacting to this and she like slowly starts to like suck the blackness out of them at the salon uh to take for herself it's really funny destiny you would love it it's like 15 minutes long it's really good I'm gonna watch that um and then i watched uh the song of styrene which is a uh elaine renee short film from 1959 which is um it's a documentary about how polystyrene like plastic materials are made um but in like the form of like a like a children's storybook rhyme um it's 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 really good short it's just like if you like how it's made or whatever about industrial processes would like that shot by someone who like understands cinema um it's good it like works from the finished product all the way back to like the ocean where all things come from it's it's uh it's quite enjoyable it's really short also cool Um, and then one last thing which will be our segue is i in addition to our movie club this week, I watched the 1988 A Man for All Seasons, uh, directed and starring Charlton Heston, uh, which is a made-for-TV movie. Um, the Heston apparently played um, Thomas More a bunch on Broadway. He was like one of the people most associated with the part, other than um, what's his face, uh, other than uh, Paul Schofield, um, and just wanted to do it for uh, TV. So uh, I watched that. I'll talk about it a bit when we talk about the movie. I thought it was very good. It's a much more faithfully adapted version of the play. Has no budget. It's just clearly just people on sets doing the play in costumes. Um, but it's enjoyable. So um, that's it. Um, I guess that'll take us to our uh, movie club. Our movie this week is A Man for All Seasons, the 1966 uh, historical drama film directed by Fred Zimmerman. Uh, adapted by uh, Robert Bolt from his play, uh, the same name, and is about uh, Sir Thomas More, which uh, honestly I didn't know. I did, I only vaguely remembered, didn't remember how it went until I was watching this. Um, Jackson, what happens in this movie? Uh, so in this movie, uh, it's what happens to Sir Thomas More, which is Thomas More <laughs> is uh, made. Uh, what, what is the, the specific title? It's, Lord um, Chancellor. The, uh, yes, Lord Chancellor of the uh, like uh, Catholic Church, essentially in England. 
um, exactly at the time that uh, the King of England, Henry VIII, is creating the Church of England uh, in order to, to fuck up more marriages. Um, and uh, he re- attempts to diplomatically recuse himself from the situation, clearly disagreeing with it, uh, but is not allowed to over years as he refuses to sign like uh, the oath stating that uh, he and thus the like religious establishment in the UK is uh, behind Henry VIII's decision to like make a new church from nothing for no reason. Uh, and while every other member of um, like the the religious and political establishment goes along and signs his oath just because you can, we can pointless to going at the king it wouldn't actually change anything. Uh, he does not. Uh, he never gives in and is eventually killed for it. Uh, and that's that's the end. That's the end of the movie. Yeah, it is mostly a legal drama about them trying to find a cause to like bring charges because he will never give his opinion on what he thinks about Henry VIII's ridiculous plans. Yes um obvious like film of a play because it's mostly people standing around in rooms giving big speeches <laughs> it sure is um you picked this uh be- why be- because it's a movie that i was like oh clearly i'd like this this like weird british movie about actors talking about whatever in history yeah um and i was right <laughs> um i think this movie is fucking incredible uh I ended up so big on it because I when, when I when you when you picked it, I kind of made funny because I'm like, oh, it's like a one of those like you know talky political ther- thriller or like political movies kind of things. But in actuality, it's a big talky religious uh, argument movie, which I like much more. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I had a great time with this. Destiny, I had seen this. Uh, we read the Robert Bolt play in my either junior year or senior year now i can't recall probably junior year because i was in honors humanities uh that sounds about right and so i was familiar with it and i liked it then and i like it now i um also get big on the religious debate stuff so it, it, it was um or not debate but like these sorts of films uh and somebody being like well it's me and god against you and I don't know. It was it was a good time. Uh, yeah. Um, this movie uh, has a distractingly good and ridiculous cast. We got Orson Welles in like a five minute role uh, as uh, Cardinal Wolsey at the beginning, uh, who's very good and funny. <laughs> um, then he dies. Uh, we've got <laughs> we've got John Hurt as a baby. <laughs> John Hurt looks like he's like 18. I bet he's not 18, but he looks he looks so young and he just doesn't have the John Hurt gravitas yet. Um, and he plays a little weasel man. So that's good because it ruined the movie if he did. If it was um, John Hurt. Yeah, if he was John Hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, he's like 27 or something in this. Yeah. Um, you got Leo. We got Leo McKern um, from the prisoner fame himself uh, as Thomas Cromwell, a, a cartoonish version of Cromwell. We're like. Leo McKern famously has like a glass eye and he swapped his eye out for like a blue one. So he looked more evil because he had mismatched eyes. Just really going for it in terms of the nonsense stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. I, um, I'm sure Leo McKern's done many things, but he's just, he's number two. He's in the prisoner. He's, he's the number two that everyone cares about. Yes. Um, 
I was watching this. I was like, I need to see things, more things Paul Schofield's been in. But honestly, this is like his big thing because he was a stage guy. Like he's in Quiz Show, which I guess I should watch. Um, but um, this is kind of it. Um, yeah. Which I love because he is, he just cut such a, like a singular figure in this movie as like a dour, um, like warm hearted, but very serious, like man of the cloth. Right. Like he's he's very measured and he's he's kind in his own way, but also like kind of a like hard man in the traditional good Christian way. It's weird because like I watch this movie and I'm like, this guy has the like all of the cultural signifiers that I think of for like classic Protestants. Right. Like there's a bit where he yells at his son, uh, like son in law to be uh, for being a Lutheran. I'm like, you look like the most Lutheran man I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) The way he carries himself is extremely like the traditional. And like I was brought up Lutheran, so I have a bias here. But like when when people talk about like what early Protestantism is, the thing that I was taught was guys like this were very serious about caring about like the principle of the thing and these these matters that other people think aren't important are actually the heart of all matters. Um, and not Henry the eighth himself, who is another major figure of Protestantism, who's a fucking clown. Yeah, this, is, this is what gets confused about like the British view of Protestantism because it's so tied up in the Church of England, which is uh, like, you know, you got Martin Luther nailing his thesis to the door, uh, principled objections to the way the um, Catholic Church runs, which is to say badly in every possible way. Yeah, it's extorting uh, money from the populace. This is a major thing, giving them nothing in return. <laughs> Uh, and then you have Henry VIII, who doesn't give a fuck about that stuff. No. Uh, Just wants and, to get it. And so, like, Protestantism over here is like, like we do have other sects. Right? We do have Lutherans and, like, actual principled Protestants. It did, it did make its way over here, but uh, the Church of England is still, like, the dominant religion in the UK, I would say. Yeah. Um, I just, it's goofy, because, like, you know, as someone who went through, like, a lot of Protestant education, like, Lutheran Protestant education, Church of England has always been, like, they're like the ones who ruin this for everybody. Like everyone's taking us seriously. And the church of England is the King standing up and going, well, I can decide I'm going to be a different church too, under like the most shaky grounds of all time. And it seems like the British imagination for Henry VIII agrees entirely with this. (laughs) I mean, Henry VIII is like literally being clowned on all the time. Yes. In the UK. Like everyone, like he's a famous historical figure, but as like an orphan buffoon. Yeah um hmm. like oh it's funny all the guys he was you know all, all the wives he was killing and, and divorcing uh and then he was just like this this big fan well, yeah, knowing enough about history like i you know i was like this whole thomas more thing i was not clear on but i was like we're talking about henry the second of six wives here this is what this problem is about <laughs> i mean like this is like partially uh this is definitely part of the the movie that you're meant to uh like be focusing on is that a lot of the people who are arguing to thomas more are going to be ended up also getting killed later Yo. for unrelated fucking treason bullshits yes yeah. uh, because henry is just like that <laughs> yeah the very end of the movie that's like oh yeah uh cromwell was killed and uh the the other guy his friend was killed um they both got hit with treason charges richard rich however died old and in his bed <laughs> yes what a coward idiot. <laughs> he sucks so much. <laughs> he sucks. But you know, there's a bit where like the king shows up at uh Thomas More's like house um to like try to like, you know, soft power convince him. Um and it's it's Robert Shaw, uh, who I only really know from um Jaws, because he's Quentin Jaws, which I think most people would probably know him from. Um 
uh, he's in a bunch of like it's like oh he's in take pal one two three and from russia love and i'm like i don't remember any of those i remember jaws um <laughs> and he's just i'm like why is he choosing to be this shouty like spittle flying nonsense version of the king and when i watch the uh heston version that guy also does the exact same thing so it must just be in the role description that you were he's just shouting his feelings in the yard to nobody and everyone's listening in <laughs> i mean that's like it's clearly in the script because like there's a whole bit where it cuts to the inside and everyone can yeah. hear what he's saying like yeah the henry eighth being a guy that will take you into like the private garden to have this conversation of soft power and it's just him yelling at you while literally everyone on the planet can hear yes. <laughs> what he thinks he's doing fucking west wing moves over here yes uh, yeah it's really funny <laughs> uh yeah um <laughs> he sucks so much it's weird because like he kind of drops out of the the movie at that point and there's like a lot of ambiguity like I was like, is this about the, because not knowing this history, I was like, is this about Cromwell making a bid for power in the king's name and none of this is involved? Um, and the movie definitely allows you the space to think that way. That is definitely not true in like the Heston version, which is based on the play where like during the trial, you like see the king hiding behind a curtain, unwilling to even face more, but listening to the whole thing. Um, when he gets the proclamation, like it's like you're, you know, you're treasonous to the crown, like when he's in the room with uh, with Cromwell um he's like oh yeah he like hands him the paper and he's like yes this is the king's hand this is the king's words i know what that looks like because i worked with him um and that's just like not really in the movie in a way that i thought was weird um because i thought it was going to go another way not knowing the history i know cromwell's an important figure arguably i think of him as like more important than henry the eighth because of like historical fiction and stuff that's all about cromwell at this point you Mm -hmm. know well i mean like the cromwells as they go on are you know yeah yeah um and so I just was not was unclear on where it was going with that stuff. Um, but no, it was all he just likes to kill guys who disagree with him. Uh, I think in the movie, it's definitely I, I I think there is an effectiveness to like creating that ambiguity because mm-hmm. it comes off in the film to me as like Cromwell is doing this of his own volition, not I, not necessarily entirely, but it comes off as like he is taking initiative to really cut off. Uh, uh, Thomas More not realizing that he's just sowing the seeds for his own fucking execution five years later, right? Yeah. Like, right. Um, I, I think there's a way you can read the movie, maybe not the the, the play version, uh, but in the movie you can definitely read it as like if Thomas Cromwell just left the fuck alone, maybe this whole thing could have been like mostly stabilized. I think that's true. I think that's true generally, yeah. Because I mean, his because like his vi- Cromwell's vision of like social climbing through being like the middle manager of the kingdom right like he's like if i can just if i can just make everyone happy um the most people happy and the least amount of fuss then everything will be still um doesn't work when one side of that equation is like an unhinged king (laughs) yeah Uh, he's also so naked about like how much he's fake like when they're trying to trump up those charges of the bribe right yeah uh and he's not even trying to hide that he's trumping it up but still but still requires like he still needs to rules lawyer it enough to actually get the confession in the end. Yes. Um, yeah. So he just comes off as like not not really aware of how impotent and at risk he is because he's doing all these like evil schemes, but still needs like some veneer of officialness on it. Even though like the king could just say uh, Cromwell, kill him. <laughs> he will. He will do that. Yeah. He's like, really, but he's very specific. The king does not want to order this because it would be it would be against his conscience to like do it without cause. Uh, 
I know, but like his belief in that is yeah. just like not true. But the thing, that's the thing he's most famous for is yes. actually ordering it without cause. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but there's like a certain like fake, uh, fake moral center to everyone else that like butts up against Thomas More's moral center. Um, the movie definitely like invests in the idea that like this man making this very like principled religious stand is the most noble thing a person can do. Uh, we both read Pauline Kael's review. <laughs> She's like, this is this instead of like, I, instead of being a movie for 12 year olds, this movie is a t- movie for 12 year olds who are intellectuals and idealists. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't disagree with her is the thing, but I love it. I eat it up. I mean, like, it's it's a movie made, you know, it's a play made in the UK in, in like 20 years after the war mm-hmm. uh, as like, you, you know, uh, you have the immediate post-war socialism boom and it's starting to, in the 60s, it's starting, I think the tides are starting to change, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, this is all the film about how like the most honourable thing you can do is not give in as the government changes everything to be bad. <laughs> Um, but not do anything about it not fucking like organize or like make steps it's all about your like noble religious like doomed cause uh um so it's definitely like childish in that way but i i I eat it up i don't know it's great yeah no i um i was looking at what bolt like bolt's other work and like all his plays are ridiculous one man against other people who are all social climbers um or like one man who becomes a social climber and it brings ruin. They're always like this kind of story. Uh, he's got one about like Mary, Queen of Scots, and uh, he's he's got a uh, one in from nineteen seventy seven called State of Revolution that's about Lenin, um, which depicts Trotsky and Stalin as like the guys who gain power under his noble uh, ideas. <laughs> Which I have to read at some point. I simply this have is to the read this. most guy that was briefly in the British Communist Party in the sixties fucking play I've <laughs> ever heard. Yeah. Never heard in my life. Yeah. Man. Um anyway, but also like he wrote Dr. Zhivago, which I've never seen, but I want to. Um mm-hmm. won an Oscar for that and for Man for All Seasons. He's a co writer for Lawrence Arabia. Um he apparently wrote most of the dialogue and characterization. Michael Wilson got the rest like did the like characters and scenes. Um so that stuff's really interesting. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like uh, Lars Arabia does better on like the nuance part of it. Yes. Like Thomas More is just the perfect dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of, yes. Yes. Of, of the church, right? Like um, Thomas Thomas More is like this is what Picard was aiming for, right? Like yes, yes. Oh, for I, sure. Watch him, and I'm like, oh, this is like what John Luke Picard's meant to be at his like best version of himself. This, like, super assured authority figure that knows the best for you and is, like, constantly being disappointed. But, like, when he t- when he earnestly is like, I won't give you uh, a promotion because it'll ruin you. You're in a weird, ambitious creep. You should become a teacher and embrace humility. Just, like, sowing the seeds of his own downfall by being too nice to this fucking loser. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's very funny. Um, but, yeah, it's absolutely doing that. Whereas, like, I, you know... Lawrence Arabia, one of the best characters on screen ever, is much more fraught about these ideas, even though it is still one of these. You can read it this way, but... Um, yeah, but it's much sure. more clear that, like, he is doing harm to another nation. He is still an arm of empire. Like, that's all not here because it's all internal, right? Yes. He's Instead, he's, like, uh, progressively teaching his daughter how to read. <laughs> <laughs> and Latin. Yeah. Yeah, and Latin. The part where she clowns on the the king's like, oh, look at this woman who knows some Latin. And then she just like proceeds to have a conversation because she's excited to talk Latin with someone and clearly has outpaced the king's understanding of Latin is very good. 
Yeah, I love that scene. And then later he like, when he retires, he's like, I have nothing to do. Uh, wife, would you like to learn to read? And she's like, no, what used to have to read? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that whole bit where uh, he's fucking letting all the staff go. He's like, I'll find mm-hmm. you other jobs in other departments. And then the guy's like, why would I stay? He was like, I'm cutting your pay. Oh, fuck off. Goodbye. I'm leaving now. <laughs> yeah. funny. Eat my ass. Bye. <laughs> it's interesting because like um, in the play, like the boatman um that guy the executioner the the like jurors the guy um in the prison like the prison guard are all played by like a character called like the everyman who constantly does he does the like asides to the audience as like setting scenes or whatever um so it's meant to be this like recurring role that's like the voice of the common people um and uh, that's in the, the the other movie, too. And it's really interesting to see that broken out into actual characters. Like, this movie is much more naturalistic than the play is. Um, like, in the play, the actual trial is, like, just the, the... It's Common Man, the Common Man character. And then all the other jurors are, like, hats on poles. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, but, I don't um, remember it. <laughs> yeah, this, this movie instead goes for, like... It's, it like... The costuming and the way everything's depicted is just, like, very, like, realist. Like, it's, like, this nice pastoralism because they're in beautiful houses in England. But, like, it's always foggy and shitty. And, ever, like, the, the king comes up to visit and, like, jumps into, like, ankle-deep mud. And all of his retinue end up having to climb through the mud also. And the king thinks it's hilarious and everyone else is miserable. Um, there's just a sort of, like, yeah, it's just a bunch of fields in the middle of England. That's what That's what all this takes place in. There's nothing here. Uh, sense uh, of it yeah. that I like quite a bit. Has to go all the way from Hampton Court to Chelsea, and I'm like, that's not that far. Like, well, I know you're when, you, when you're taking it by boat. <laughs> yeah, I was to say he's in a boat, and then he couldn't get a boat. He had to walk that time. Yeah, <laughs> you could not walk from Hampton Court to Chelsea. That is too far. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have found some alternate transport. That that's not that one's not happening. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that stuff's like really good. Um, it made me want to read the play. The uh, The other version is really, it, it's like, because it more literally adapts the play, it's longer. It's like half an hour longer because um, plays are long. Um, but I do really, I quite like it. Um, it's interesting because like uh, Vanessa Redgrave is in that as uh, Thomas More's wife. Um, oh. And she she has a cameo in this movie as uh, Anne Boleyn. Um which is like uncredited and she wasn't even paid for it. She just kind of showed up to be that character. She's like, if you don't put, don't put me on the post and I'll show up. Cause I think it'd be fun to be in this movie. <laughs> she was originally going to play uh, Margaret, but then she had to do like theater stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Cause like, this is one of those where like, if you read the production stuff, it's like they asked every actor, famous actor in the world to be in this movie uh, before they got the cast they got. And all of them turned them down. It's like Alec Guinness is going to play Wolsey. That went to Orson Welles. That's a ridiculous. I don't know how you go, get from Alec Guinness to <laughs> Orson yeah, Welles. That's a real weird choice. Um, I love Orson Welles in this because he is just cartoonish. He's in his like, you know, most like evil fat man version of Orson Welles, right? Like mm-hmm. this is this is a touch of evil Orson Welles, but he's playing a, a Catholic cardinal. <laughs> so he's in like the red getup <laughs> and he's just like, 
He's got his like alcoholic, like bloodshot, like face and nose, and he just looks miserable. It's really good. He's he's electric I in the little bit he gets. Didn't recognize him right away. I was like, oh, oh, oh that's Orson Welles. <laughs> uh, Peter O'Toole is going to be the first choice for Henry, which is ridiculous. I think uh, Robert Shaw does a great job. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it's weird that this is a cast of like second cho- choices because it's a great fucking cast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, they um, wanted, like, they're like, oh, Schofield's not big enough to, like, he, because he was the guy who's doing it on uh, originally. Like, oh, we need, like, an actor, not, like, a stage guy. So they're going to give it to Richard Burton and Lawrence Olivier. But, like, no, no, no. Um, it's got to be uh, Fred Jim Zinneman, like, the director is like, no, it's got to be Schofield. He's right. I don't think anyone else could, like, because, like, I think the Heston version's pretty good, but, like, Heston himself, even though he's, like, the other guy who's really famous for the role, is just not. Not, he doesn't have the same gravitas. Like, it plays differently. He doesn't have the... I'm not willing to invest in Charlton Heston as a guy I believe cares for everybody, even when he's kind of hard and rude. Like, when when Schofield's more is, like, taking principled stance, you're like, he believes it. And, like, maybe it's, like, the wrong choice. Like, maybe not the choice I'd make, but, like, I believe he has actually considered it and is the, like, most uh, conscientious person in any given room in this movie. And that's a hard thing to pull off without making it seem like obnoxious mm-hmm. i mean like it's an impossible role because the thing he's actually doing and i don't even mean like history i mean like in the movie the thing he's doing is uh stupid um as because he try he tries to he's trying to balance two completely contradictory uh motivations in these conversations and it's like on the one hand there's this principle that he will not break and he will like hold to at all costs uh and this is like his defining motivation but his other motivation is like the pragmatic care for everyone like around him right this paternal yes. looking after his staff his family uh their marriages their families even his friends and like he will make his principal stance in a way that allows everyone else to cover up without getting like shit thrown their way yeah uh, but not like there's a point where they start coming to his prison and they're like also in trouble and could be assassinated. And I'm like, you can't do both these things. These two things are in like direct conflict. And the I actually, like, I actually like that when it comes to that, he's like, I'm not, I, I'm willing to give up my family and put them in danger for the thing I believe. I think that's like the thing yes. that makes us work. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you need to be like, as an actor, that's such a hard thing to play. Cause like eventually the reveal is going to come and the, the like ultimate conclusion is no, I'm going to send all my family to like be live in exile forever. You got to fucking like get on a plane a 19, uh, 1490s plane now, <laughs> right fucking now. Uh, yeah. uh, and like go to a weird, go to different ports, different countries and you're on the run. You're in Assassin's Creed for the rest of your lives. Uh, <laughs> and ultimately is like totally fine with that. Even when his wife's like fucking hell, I'm so mad at you. Yeah. Uh, that seems really good. Yeah. We, you know, he's much more interested in being right with God and establishing legal precedent, which uh, is also very important to him. Yes. Unfortunately, he lives in a time uh, like every time where people in power don't actually care that much about the real laws. I do love his speech to his uh, son-in-law when he's like, "What you know, who cares about the laws? That guy's like to Richard Rich, that guy's evil. Just arrest him. And he gives the whole speech is like, you can't just let your like belief system override the law of the land because eventually that's going to be put on you um, and there'll be no more laws to, to, to save you, uh, which is exactly what happens to everybody at the end of the movie. Yep. Uh, yeah, he does just give like a speech from Psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's it's a it's a great speech because like on the one hand it's very naive right like it's like 
I believe in the law because if I stop believing in the law, the law won't be there for me. Uh, you know, not ignoring that the law already bends to power. It's like you've got you've got the, the order of operations here wrong, Thomas. Um, but it does end up happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other person, uh, famously, um, Ian McKellen played Will Roper, who's his son-in-law in the you know, late sixties version, but then has also played more. I would love to see the Ian McKellen and Thomas more. I think it'd be so fucking good. God, that would be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any video of that, unfortunately, but, um, there's like some radio productions. There's like a BBC one from 2006. <laughs> who's in that charles dance is thomas moore <laughs> of course he is <laughs> i feel like that changes entirely because like i love charles dance but he's just a fucking asshole like you can't do the picard thing uh brian cox is king henry the eighth so that's a ridiculous uh oh, wow. <laughs> william roper is martin freeman your favorite british actor jackson <laughs> Uh, that that's Miss Cost. He should be Richie Rich. He should be Richie Rich. Who's who is who's that role instead? Um, Richard Rich in that is where is it? Um, Julian Rin Tut. I'll have to look who that look up who that is. He's um, known for playing Doctor Mac McCartney in Green Wing, which I don't know anything about. Oh, I've I do remember Green Wing as like a. Uh, thing that was on Channel 4 at one point. I can't even He seems like a guy who is only in British television productions. I've never heard of this guy. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I extremely spelt this guy's name wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) This this guy guy is not a guy I've heard of, yes, in Green Wing, which is a show I watched a little bit of but didn't like. So, Mm -hmm. yes, I'm not, not really familiar with this guy. So, don't watch all the British television guys. Some of them miss me. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the um, Richard Rich is like such a weird role generally. Because it's like, you got to be like a guy who originally seems like, you know, Thomas More could save him. Thomas More's like, I can fix him. <laughs> yes. Um, but it, it 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 can't, you have, he also like is a, just the Weasley's man. Um, has to feel like even... Someone like Cromwell just looks at him and is like, you're such a blatant climber. Who could re- possibly respect you? <laughs> uh, he's embarrassing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like ends up being like instrumental to everything. Because the, the ultimate thing is like a, a climber like that is actually very useful because you need someone who you're not even going to feel slightly bad about like discarding once you've got them to do the dirty work. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like essentially how Wolsey treats him. Uh, not Wolsey, uh, uh, Cromwell treats him. Uh, like he ships him off to Wales, right, for his dukedom, but it's not really like a a great role, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's that incredible line where he's like, it profits a man not to sell his soul for the whole world, but for Wales? Yeah. <laughs> Bodied. Uh, do you have anything else? No, just great movie. I feel like it's yeah. uh, very on the face of it. What it is, it's not deep. It's not like complicated or no. d- doing anything like thematically ambitious. Uh, it just sometimes is, you you watch the thing, and you're like, damn, that's the cinema. That's true. Uh, all right, 
I guess we'll go to our questions. If you'd like to send questions, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. Our question of the week was, uh, what's your favorite historical movie about historical figure? Uh, And there was a bonus question about, like, how do you define that distinct from biopic? Um, But uh, we have some emails. Our first one is from Nigel. Uh, my favorite movie about a historical figure is Gothic, the Ken Russell horror drama movie about Lord Byron and uh, Pierce Mar- Mary Shelley, specifically a fantastical vision of their much mythologized vacation spent writing horror stories. I have not seen this. This sounds amazing. I have it's to watch this. Great. I've seen it a couple of times. It's a good time. You're like, you'd love it. I, I forget it's Ken Russell. Um, my least favorite is Public Enemies, which, man, that movie fucking sucks. Um, I was... Uh, I wouldn't watch it now because Johnny Depp, you know, fuck him. Um, but at the time, uh, when I, you know, the stuff had not come out, I, I was big on Michael Mann. I had seen Collateral and then I had seen Heat and I was like, just man, coolest guy in the world. Saw Public Enemies. I'm like, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> it's the first movie where I remember like a director. I was like paying attention to what two directors were and like interested in their work. Come out of the movie like, oh man, what happened? <laughs> It's just like a brutally ugly movie. It's like all shot digitally and it all looks like shit about um, Dillinger, right? I believe so. Sure. I'm looking it up. I've yes. not watched it. I know what. Because I remember seeing the trailer for this when I went to uh, see some movies else in 2009. I was like, what is this fucking garbage? Why is it all like, like fake world? What's going on? I didn't know directors. I thought it looked like shit. So, um, yeah, it's about it's it's based on the nonfiction book about uh, John Dillinger and being chased by the FBI, blah, 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 like just 1930s criminals. Um, Nigel says line between biopics and movies about historical figures is whether anyone still alive was around in the events which they're famous for happened. If yes, it's a biopic. If no, it's a, f- a movie about historical figures. That is not my definition. Not mine at all. That yeah, means that's not mine either. Elvis is a historical film. That means, uh, th- well, no, there's people, people who are alive. still alive when Elvis is around. Oh, I know. <laughs> I just mean like Elvis isn't. I don't know. <laughs> like, well, yeah, but it's just anyone who could remember it, basically. Oh, like, anyone that could remember it. Yeah. Okay, I misunderstood. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, but even if Elvis the movie was still made like in in thirty years, right? Uh-huh. It would still be a biopic. Yeah. Um. Birdville writes in, uh, love this movie. Is, is there something about stage play adaptations that can lead to better films? Eh, it's more that like, I think we're start a, a good stage adaptation. And we mostly only get adaptations of good plays because it's cause co- it takes so much effort for a play to break out. Cause they're plays, um, just has a lot of crunchy dialogue and you know, a certain type of person read us loves it when a movie's talking in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's like necessarily about the quality of the play as an art form more like, what it means when a play becomes popular and what the qualities of it that are good will usually be compared to like a book or something mm-hmm. uh, compared to a you know comic book or whatever source material there is they all lean towards different things if you're adapting a play you're usually going to get some acting some the capital a acting and some fucking lines yeah <laughs> um, uh birdville saw there's the 1988 remake with charles heston i was like i can't imagine it be anything but terrible and so i went into this expecting to kind of con on i was like heston's more that's not going to work at all um it's a free on youtube in like the most vhs rip awful quality you can imagine um there's a DVD out there, but I was just like, I'm not low effort. I'm just gonna watch this on YouTube. Um, and yeah, it's surprisingly solid. Um, if you've got two and a half hours to kill and would like to see a, a more coherent version, if you don't want to read the play, I guess, um, 
like closer to what the play would be like. Um, it's a pretty good one. Um, I just kind of had it on while I was doing other stuff, like watch it sometimes, but mostly was like listening to it as like an audio thing. And it, that, mm-hmm. it worked great. Um, and then uh, question of the week answer. Uh, Patton. Over time, I've enjoyed this movie in different ways. More naive times, I liked it for the wrong reasons. In later years, I liked it more for its portrayal of a narcissistic man. Um, I've never seen Patton. It's, like, really long. And I, by the time I was, like, in the mood for movies like this, I was like, I don't want to watch, like, a famously hoorah American movie like that. Um, Wait, Patton's a hoorah American movie? I I just don't... I, all I know is, like, the cultural cachet of him making the big speech in front of the giant flag. That's ironic! It's like the I, most ironic image of all time. I, ca- I can't a, trust American cinema to know that. <laughs> it's a fucking Coppola wrote it, right? Like it's what he did before oh, yeah. Godfather. I should I should watch it, but it's like three hours long, right? Who has time? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I also haven't watched it, but like I, I thought this was like one of the the big like post Vietnam faith in America is an all time low movies. Yeah, maybe. I I genuinely don't know. Um, like I expect if we watched it, we would have like you know asshole communist critiques of its more liberal vision of what it means to have lose faith in america and its war machine mm-hmm. um but i i don't think it's a hero movie unless i'm fairly sure but i, I also haven't seen it so yeah. I, I have no idea um kevin sent a twitter reply to the question of the week and i'm going to read it it was just a trailer for a lion in winter i can't believe i have not seen the lion in winter what's wrong with me it's like the <laughs> most for me movie could possibly be i feel like on the face of it um that was all I have for that. Uh, Hilver writes in with a question. Uh, Post-Christmas and getting back into work, I haven't sat down to watch a film this year. What's the longest you've gone not watching films? Uh, maybe a month? I don't think I go very long. Uh, there's there's a period after I stopped writing about movies uh, where I probably went. I probably saw like two, three movies a year. So that would mean that there was a, probably a good six month stretch a couple times in the mid aughts, uh, no, mid 10, 2010s, where I didn't watch movies. Yeah, it would be hard for me to say exactly how long I would go without. Because um, I, I, I'm not like tracking it that closely. Uh, the frequency will definitely go down, though, right? Like it's it, in, for me, it was between Raptor screenings and. Um, uh traffic ratio that when i was busy with school um barely watching anything then uh but i don't think i i don't think it's been like more than three months without at least one movie you know some, something's on you gotta go see it mm. um anyway question of the week favorite historical film is centurion the 2010 neil marshall film movie um it's about a group of Roman soldiers who need to get back to Roman Britain after being trapped in Scotland and hunted by the Picts. Laddish but likable, good cast, and really brutal fights. That sounds fun. Not seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mostly like eschew like like the the modern like Romans and Vikings kind of movies because they all seem a little uh like uh what's that one the um the famous Viking one the is the Refn movie. Yes, the the Valhalla. Yeah, Valhalla Rising. Oh, Valhalla Rising, yeah, yeah. That everyone talked up, and I just—it just seems so stupid to me. I've just been like very like anti them, but this one sounds right. Um, 
Hover also says, I pronounce uh, biopic as biopic the same way Jackson does. This might be a British thing. I don't think it is because as a as young person, I said bi- uh, biopic. And then at some point I realized it meant bio- biographical picture and thus it'd be biopic and just started changing how I said it. Um, but I, you can also say, you know, um, biography. Yeah. Which is just like biopic, right? Like those, uh, it doesn't. They're both etymologically work to me. I don't know. Yeah. People, uh, I just go with what I'm told. I don't, I don't really think about it too much. Yeah. Um, Rick writes in uh, with not quite a historical figure, but a movie kind of about history. Uh, so William Douglas Street Jr. is a con man who, among other things, conned his way into Yale, a job at Time Magazine, work as a lawyer, many actual surgeries, and convinced the Detroit Tigers that he was a star football player wishing to switch sports. Uh, he had a movie called Chameleon Street, uh, a 1989 independent film which Wendell B. Harris Jr. writes, directs, and stars as Street. Turns his life story into a dark comedy about moving through society and uh, working its rules, which sounds like catch if you can, but like, I can say that's exactly <laughs> catch if you can. But like indie, indie eighties catch if you can sounds fucking great. I should watch this. Yeah. <laughs> sounds pretty good. Catch if you can is really good. Um, and then we have one final email from Tron. Uh, ba, 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 ba. who's your favorite character in this movie? Who's your guy? Uh, Thomas Moore, Avi. <laughs> it's like, it's cheating. A, it's like <laughs> a second guy. How about that? Who's your secondary say. guy? Uh, Margaret. Okay, yeah, that works. <laughs> Jackson. Um, I forget his name. Thomas Moore's shitty friend who's like his homie that will oh, the be Duke with of Norfolk? him. He's like, I'm on your side, but I'm going to be a coward about everything, by the way. <laughs> Just yeah, like, you know. fuck that guy. <laughs> um, mine's probably Woolsey. I think Woolsey gets great lines. <laughs> Um, these are all great choices. Um, where would you build an estate if you could build one? Tuscany. <laughs> I've thought about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's just Tuscany. pretty. It's yeah, just pretty. Enough. It's just a pretty place. It just seems like a good place to live. Like, I don't know anything else about it other than what I've seen in the movie Under the Tuscan Sun. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I want to live in that version of Tuscany. Okay. Sure. On my villa. Can I pick something ludicrous like Antarctica or the moon or something? Like, of course can you just... can. Sure. Um, probably not the moon. That'd be too hard. They don't have Wi-Fi on the moon. <laughs> That's the main problem, yeah. Yeah. If I just build like a, an Ozymandias compound in Antarctica, though, that sounds all right. Ugh, sounds dire. No, it'd be great. <laughs> Jackson. I would build one uh, somewhere temperate and inland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why I picked Antarctica. Yeah, there you go. Um, um, <laughs> I'm going to just ask this question because it's really funny. Do any of you think there's anything worth redeeming about England? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the music of Radiohead. It's um, not even one of the good things about England. <laughs> There's probably uh, stuff, but overall, no. We can just we can that go without. Absolutely incredible tweet that was like, um, was, there's a picture of uh, Ukraine, and like this is this is how much 
uh, of Ukraine's territory Russia wants to take. Imagine if, like, how much of your territory would you be willing to give up if, if Russia asked for it? And someone just retweeted it with a picture of the UK, and they just fucking circled the entire south of England. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the way up to, like, slightly around Nottingham. Um, <laughs> avoiding Wales and uh, Scotland and uh, Ireland and everything. It was very funny. Um... And then uh, Tron's answer to the question of the week was there will be blood, which I don't think counts. I don't think it counts no. at all. Like it's then a, I could it's say... Um, it's about a historical period. It's not about a historical yeah. figure. Yeah. Um, but then it says if, the, if it counts, I would say F or fake, which I think counts more than there will be blood. I mm. believe so. Because, like, uh, there will be blood is just a novel. It's, like, set in a time, but it's not about an actual historical person at all, I don't think. Whereas F or fake kind of is. Yeah. Um, which leads us to uh, everyone else's answer to this question. Um, who wants to go first? Uh, you. I mean, okay, I'm volunteering well, you. I mean, easy. This is an easy one. Very obvious. You know, I guess it might change when I rewatch because it's been, I literally haven't watched it since I was a teenager, but it is one of my favorite movies. And that is, of course, Amadeus. What else can you fucking pick? It's one of the greats. It is oh, a good movie. yeah. I yeah. enjoy Amadeus. Um, it is really good, is the thing. Uh, what's your what's your what's your line? Where's your line between biopic and uh, historical film? Well, Amadeus is why I was thinking of this, because it's like it's so clearly my favorite one, but it's like doing so much with this rise and fall musical story thing that yes. it like falls into lots of like forms of uh biopic. I don't have a an answer. I just um feel it as more of a like i think that as the um you know 20th century and 21st century have moved on the biopic has become less of a historical like tagline of so much more of a rigid form of like uh single person long time you see their fucking childhood. You see, you know, all the arcs that everyone that, takes that, out That of. to me is the difference. Uh, yes. Like, t- talking about fic- using fictional movies, like, the diff- it's like the difference between um, something like There Will Be Blood, which is about just, like, a guy's story in a time, um, versus, like, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump's a biopic about a fake man. Right? Yeah. It starts Forrest in his childhood. Gump's a fucking biopic, yes. It, oh, yeah. it has arcs. It's like, oh, this was this this part of his journey, and then that, that all quieted down, and like life moved on, and five years later, here's another new thing that he went on. I think it's like the stacking of different like scenarios that could be individual sto- historical stories themselves, but form a narrative of someone's life, and that's the biographical part, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it has to start at a childhood, right? But I think I think to me it's the idea that like this this will have a story uh, made up of smaller stories that will end, and then it's the amalgamation of other things that could be their own movies about a period um, lined yeah. up. Because I, I don't think that any movie about, like, a currently alive and relevant, you know, real person necessarily is a biopic. I don't think, like, The Social Network counts as a biopic. No, Social Network is a historical film. Not a great one, uh, but a historical film. Oh, it's a, it's not a biopic to you? No, no because it's like there's nothing it's about Zuckerberg drama, as a per- yeah. It's just like the creation okay. of Facebook. All right, I, I've never seen it, so I don't actually like. Know, if it I, began I, with him like as a kid, being yeah. like, "I wish I knew where all my friends were," and he couldn't go to. <laughs> 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 he couldn't 
go to the fucking park or whatever because he couldn't get everyone to sign up. And in time, he was using the phone. He kept calling them and going, oh, I can't wait. He's out today. I don't know how to get in touch with all my friends. That would be, you know what? I'm making this movie now. I would watch that. <laughs> the struggle. How is he going to connect with his friends? If, if only someone had a book of faces. Um, <laughs> that he, that he starts playing I'm a creep. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. <laughs> Sorry, that was very funny. <clears throat> okay. Um. I think I think my um, historical film is Apollo thirteen, classic. I guess I, I guess it is. Those people <laughs> exist. That did happen. You're, you're like you're right. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's weird because like when I think of, when I think of this type of movie that I enjoy, it is like the stuff that happened in modernity. Um, I'm like, and they don't even have to be good movies, but I'm like, man, you know what I like? 13 days about the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's a fucking historical film. Um, not a, not a great one, but I did enjoy it quite a bit. Like Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> historical film. Yes. Um, not biopics, not even a little bit of biopic in those. Um, I do just like the ones that are like, here's some shit that happened last century. Isn't it weird? Good night and good luck. That is a historical film, not a biopic. Great movie. Um, that would have been that. Would, I thought about that as my answer, um, but I feel like I bring up George Clooney any chance I get. So I was like, I need a different one. <laughs> you do love George Clooney. That's we just all true. love him here. This... But Apollo Thirteen is a great film. It's like it's like the er dad movie, but like it's also just good. I agree. Runner up dad movie to uh, Unforgiven. That's true. Oh my god, Unforgiven, not a historical movie. film. <laughs> No, that's just a movie. It's set in history. <laughs> no. No, but it's, it's, Westerns are not historical films. Period okay. movie is not a historical film. Like, a historical like, film has to have, like, real people who lived, there's record of, you know. Okay, okay. I would, I would, I would even accept dubious record. Like, like, I think, like, the passion, the, not the passion, not that, uh, what, uh, why can't I think of the, The Last Temptation of Christ, I would count as a historical film, even though, like, stuff about Jesus is dubiously historical. Um... Noah is not a historical film. Noah is a mythic film. Okay. Uh, yeah, like I, Regency dramas are not, and and like period pieces also. I would not, I would not count them as historical film. Yeah, Pride and Prejudice about is not a historical film. It is no. a period film. Okay, yes. I feel like there's not. Okay, I I, I get what it's, you're saying, but it's specifically the like the going into a thing that actually happened and like putting a spin on it is different than using the aesthetics of a time period. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know, like the word, the the wording yeah, the is purely arbitrary. I, yeah, I get caught up on the wording. That's just because of like how you know the, just the, the terms that ended up being used for genre. I don't really care about like whether you say historical f- film or you know whatever other thing. I just mean there is a like clear divide between ones that are just making up all the characters and ones that are using people that existed. Right. Yeah. Okay. Can you go read a nonfiction book about the people in the story? If so, historical film. Got it. Okay. Okay, so my favorite films about historic figures, I had two that I love to death. And then I have one that I think fits as just a biopic because it fits all the conditions that we've, you both kind of have decided are biopic conditions. So I guess I have three. Um, so the first movie is The Passion of Joan of Arc from 1928, which. Oh, it's a good movie. 
that's a historical film and that's a great movie. Um, one of my favorites is, uh, Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters from 1985, uh, about Yukio Mishima. There and... is historical content in that movie. That counts. Yeah. Okay. It's a weird I, one. That one kind of <laughs> straddles the line. Well, yeah, but it's like, it's like adapted scenes from his books and then historical stuff around it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a yeah. Good yeah. No, I love that movie. And then my favorite, like, cut and dried biopic is probably um, Before Night Falls, which is about the Cuban writer Ronaldo Arnas. Um, Johnny Depp alert, he is in that movie for two different roles, but it was the late 90s. Um, uh, but it's it's one of Javier Bardem's early films, and it's Julian Schnabel directing, and he just does good artist biopics. He's done a few. He did a Vincent Van Gogh movie with I believe Willem Dafoe. Um, he did uh, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which is kind of a biopic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Basquiat, which is a biopic about Jean Luc or Jean Michel Basquiat. <laughs> Jean Luc Basquiat. <laughs> I watched too much Star Trek, y'all. But yeah, for me, the the line is yeah, it's either about a person or it's about. Like the times, and that's what makes it a historical film. So the what's the name of that Christopher Nolan World War One movie? Dunkirk. Dunkirk would be like a historical film, but a biopic would be Before Night Falls. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, all right. That's uh, that's everything. If you want to send an email, you can send it to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Destiny, what are we doing next time? What's our question? Oh, well, first, uh, do you want the movie first or the question? Either one. All right, so the next movie we're watching is Nicholas, I don't know how to say your last name, Winding Riffin? Riffin. Riffin's Neon Demon from 2016 with Elle Fanning. Um, it's Psychological Horror. And then my question is, what movie is the worst representation, just pick one, of a genre that you like? Ooh, okay. <laughs> you to think, I'm going to have to have a think on that one. Yeah. The worst oh. representation of a genre that you like. Um... I'm not going to go with it, but I'm throwing out Cats. It just exists as the worst <laughs> musical I think I've ever seen. You were so ready to be like the, the cat. Defender. I really wanted to be the Cats defender. Uh, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I love a bad musical. Uh, you sure do. Yep. All right. Uh that that's good. I'm excited. I've not seen Neon Demon. Uh I fell off Refn after um Well shit, was it just Drive? Yeah, I just saw Drive. I have not seen anything. I saw since. Only God Forgives and I've seen Valhalla Rising, I guess. So I've seen a couple Refns. Um let me look at his filmography really quick. I he did um he did Bronson, right? Is that him? Yeah, I think that's him. Yeah, okay. I saw Bronson. That's after uh no, that's not after Drive. That's no, that's drive. before Drive. The only thing yeah. is after Drive. I've seen, I've seen, I've games. seen Bronson. I've seen Drive. I love Bronson. I thought Drive was stupid. <laughs> I liked Drive, but I was pretty basic when I saw Drive. I bet Drive's Drive's one of those that like I bet the whole 
just decade of people that somehow remained a relevant like weird discourse movie for a decade and it didn't see coming uh my I, thing I it's totally fine so my thing with drive is post grindhouse coming out um i i went and saw all the classic like car movies mm-hmm. and thus when i came to drive i was like this doesn't understand fucking anything about what makes those movies good Drive's barely a car movie. I, it's called yeah. Drive. It's about a fucking stunt driver who's a getaway driver. It should be more of a car movie. Better for I don't this think is it's, my, like, I don't fast think it's movie a car should movie. be more about heists again. Kind of, or like, uh, not heists, uh, races again. Sort of. You're uh, saying that the, the people in those news stories who went to see Drive and got a refund because there wasn't enough car chases were all correct. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's called Drive. It's called Drive? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bad crime movie it's just a stupid crime movie and I was like really film. enchanted by like fucking the bad 80s aesthetic and the the the, the, uh, the jacket. jacket yeah i know I'm, i ate it all up ate it all up uh <laughs> i didn't i'm I mean, somewhere in the middle i remember thinking the like high stuff was fairly tense and and well done um and the love story that concerned most of the movie was a little a little cringe um but Bronson, that's a biopic. <laughs> Ridiculous film. Um anyway, uh plugs, Destiny. At Fridge Buzz Now on the internets, most places, and my other podcast, Battling Girls, just came back after a long ass hiatus. Uh we're talking about our goals and dreams and plans for this ridiculous year. And you can find that at abnormalmapping.com slash badlandgirls. Yeah. Jackson, plugs. You can find me at headfallsoff on twitter.com and co-hosts and other places, I guess. Uh, you can find uh, the podcast that we do at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, they're pretty good. Listen to them. You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. You can support all of our podcasts at patreon.com slash normal mapping. Uh, for $5, you get uh, blockbusters where every month we talk about a classic, or not a classic, a big movie, a big movie. That is our criteria. What did we watch last time? Treasure Planet? Was that last Treasure, month? Treasure Planet. It's, yeah, yeah. So not a big movie. Uh, and then uh, just <laughs> next week, we are watching uh, Titanic with a bunch of guests. It'll be a bi- That's a big movie. And That's the biggest old. movie. We made yeah. it up um, for the fact that we didn't really hit our target with uh, Treasure Planet. Um, and it's going to be a big cast. I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, check that out. Uh, also, if you just like people arguing about religion and belief systems in the <laughs> 1500s, I'm going to be on Journal Updated, which should be out later this week i think um that hasn't recorded yet that recorded this afternoon uh, at the second best game club covering the uh 2022 xbox game pentiment um which is about murderers at a monastery in the small town uh, surrounding it it's very good um i like it a lot a lot a lot a lot <laughs> it was nice having these two things dovetail right next to each other They're that's just, very exquisite. funny yeah um anyway that's it that. oh Siri, shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll be back in, in two weeks with uh, Neon Demon. Until next time, movies. Now more than ever. If only I had a book of faces and I could look at them <laughs> and find out what to do. I don't know what to do in the future. <laughs> don't expect to like them. No, you should like things on Facebook. That's what Facebook's for. <laughs> I don't expect to like them, but what if we did? What if we made a book of faces we could expect to like? 
I'm stopping the recording. We're done. Here. <laughs>